Gather up your best regalia. We're all strutting by azaleas. Party in that hot house round the block. Oh, shovel on up for our greenhouse stomp. <laughs> and that was Dandy Wellington with Greenhouse Stomp. As always, we love our Dandy Wellington and how much he likes to share with us his gorgeous music that we get to use for our intro for our podcast. And welcome. We have another episode, guys. Yay! Yay! Fashion history with American Duchess. We're or here. The American Duchess podcast. Yeah, Woo! Let's just be honest. It's probably now just the American Duchess podcast. We kind of want, yeah, we like wander all around. It's yeah. not always just fashion history. No. Sometimes it's, well, today it's it's like our own fashion history. And it's a little bit of business, too. Yeah. It's, it's almost business time. Business time. I have no socks on. Do you have business socks on? I have yellow socks on. But I'm wearing a three-piece suit from Vakona Vidges, so I'm like, hey. Well, I guess we know that means we know what came in the mail. <laughs> yeah, we do. Anyway, I'm Anyways. Lauren. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Abby. I'm the other host. And today we have our darling Nicole. Yes. Yes. Who is our... I, I don't... What's your title? I, I she, She's art director. She's yeah. art director. That's what I put on her business card anyway. <laughs> That's what now Hope you were okay with that. Also, like, organizer, aficionado. <laughs> keeper of control with Chrissy yeah. mm-hmm. yes <laughs> the need to organize is strong yeah many hats I did not get the memo though we were supposed to wear uh, blazers well blazers I feel left out yeah what's wrong with you God. it's okay I didn't get the memo about this podcast so <laughs> <laughs> here we are <laughs> you showed up nonetheless yeah at least you're here um so today what we wanted to talk about was uh the actual process in which we design shoes mm-hmm. uh nicole we had you on the show before you were full-time with us when you were doing contract work as a designer talking about shoe history and fun things like that but now you've been working with american duchess for almost a year it's very exciting and full-time and so we just thought it would be a good time to sit and chat about actually probably when this episode comes out it'll be over a year um (laughs) talk about the process in which the company designs shoes Mm -hmm. i am not really going to participate in this conversation i will help guide it because i don't have much to add other than i'm like yay heels pretty shoes i love pretty shoes you have questions though you've (laughs) soaked up a lot more through osmosis than i think you realize (laughs) so you're part of every part of the process uh, yes i have all my fingies in the pot Mm -hmm. but your toes in the shoe toe (laughs) boxes yes yeah toe jam (laughs) toe cheese (laughs) but so so we decided it would be fun because what's different from our company than other companies other than just normal shoe companies is how much we refer to history and how Mm -hmm. much we refer to the past and obviously lauren you started this business with you and chris and a wild hair and a idea because happy recession and (laughs) you're like let's just see what happens and so you started the process and now nicole has come in to help relieve you of the obligation and burden of design. And well, I mean, I I still love designing. It just, it's, I mean, we started with one shoe, just one. Yeah. And Georgiana. I, uh, Georgiana, right? And I wanted to make a, a dyeable satin um, latchet shoe with a short French heel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I, I was designing from 2011 to 2019. Um, well, 2018. So you were doing you were doing some. Nicole was doing some designs um, before she came here full time. But the thing about our shoes is that, as Abby, you just mentioned, we refer a lot back to history. Um, it's kind of an understatement. <laughs> like we refer entirely to history, but we have to take these old shoes that are often very very narrow, or they don't have things like arch support or toe boxes, and we 
have to make them work for modern people, mm-hmm. modern foot widths, modern expectation of comfort. I was going to say, and modern expectations. Modern expectations, modern um, expectations of materials as well, mm-hmm. how we wear our shoes, how long we wear our shoes for. There's a lot going on there just to get it to look like, well, as close to originals as we can, but still be functional and wearable and comfortable and not cause foot issues and, you know, a sellable product. Yeah. So making the shoes, Nicole, you brought some things. So what, okay. As what's your opinion? Cause you're also a shoe historian mm-hmm. as the now shoe as a shoe historian and also a designer of the shoes. What is like you were talking about, we we're dealing with modern expectations. What also on a practical level as trying to get a modern shoe manufacturing factory workshop. (laughs) People think this job is easy. They're like, oh, "Oh, you're just going to go and copy some old originals. You'll just buy something on eBay and send it over there. And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. It won't. It'll be, yeah, it'll be like buying. Yeah, it'll be like buying on Wish. You don't know what you're going to get back. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I guess the, the best way to set this up, the basic process is even if we just find a literal shoe, like this is a shoe that we want to make, we can't just straight up send them a shoe um, because that shoe is in a weird size. It, it's not going to fit a last that we have. We may not have a heel. It's exactly right for it. So we're constantly trying to figure out like all of these tiny little details. So the big part of the design job that takes the time is not just, I like this shoe. Let's make this shoe. It's, pretty. it's a pretty shoe. It's quite literally sitting down and being how many millimeters is this going to be exactly what shoelace are we using how big is this <laughs> how part? long how is that long shoelace is that? do yeah. i have a high end step because yeah. my shoelaces are too yeah, short with on boot. These. how tall is this boot going to be and how big is it going to be at the ankle how big is it going to be at the calf how big is it going to be in every single location how much of a gap do we need between mm-hmm. the laces in the front and all of those tiny little nitpicky details because you have to think of everything that they can do wrong Oh, because they will. Because they will. Not out of, like, (laughs) spite or anything like that. It's them just they don't know and they'll make a guess. And because most of what they're used to is modern shoemaking and which it's just vastly different by its nature than historical shoemaking. Um, And the way that we do things now is vastly different. So it's... They're going to do it like they make modern shoes and that's usually not what we want. (laughs) Sometimes Um, it... Like, obviously, the younger... Uh, what used to be Royal Vintage, the 1920s, 30s, 40s stuff, you know, that's not that big of a deal. You're like, okay, here's a cool design. It's from the 1940s, you know, the modern last and the modern, you know, shanks and all that. But you get back to like, I don't know, 1775 and it's... it's good year. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, so this has a butterfly toe counter in it, an Italian heel mm-hmm. and, and this straps strange... And latchets. Like, and straps yeah. and latchets None and this strange toe, sh- like this toe profile like toe spring is all different like having to go back in i mean there's been there's been prototypes that we've gone back and forth like seven eight times on like the men's shoes we have so many camilles sitting oh around God. the office because we, that darn like ankle and calf shape yes like they're just i don't even know which one is the correct one we have like no, 30 it's a mystery sitting around it samples. is and a lot of them are in nine and a half so i'm like i don't actually know which one's the right one anymore <laughs> I, I i genuinely don't know we li- yeah, we literally have call- a space called the dungeon, and it's just filled with samples <laughs> of shoes and literal, like, I have big boxes just full of the most recent samples because I've eventually got to go through them. And we label them. We put little stickers or write on the soles or write on the shoes. Because you are the organizational queen. When I try to be, at least. But... <laughs> 
And so we're just trying to figure out what to do with all of that quantity of so much stuff. It's like mm-hmm. having a little mini museum in the back. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I think that's how Bata Shoe Museum actually started. Yeah, it is. Is they kept buying antique shoes to inform their shoe designs. And next thing you know, like you just know Bata had a dungeon full of shoe samples oh, just had... like we do. Oh, yeah, no, it's huge. <laughs> You've met her, closet. haven't you? Yeah, I yeah. did. Oh, I got to meet Mrs. Yes. Bata when I was visiting years ago. She's since passed away, sadly. Um, but she was probably one of the most interesting people I will ever meet in my life. <laughs> goals. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's old lady goals. Oh, so much so. Like she just showed up unannounced because she heard we were there and we knew how to do shoemaking and we were researching shoes and she just showed up and proceeded on like a half hour rant about how her doctor said she couldn't fly to Paris this weekend so she came to see us instead. Well, okay. She was fascinating. She was so interested in how the shoes were made and like we were talking about 18th century shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's wonderful. But but yeah, there was that fascination where even somebody who who lives their lives dealing with shoes, she wasn't aware of how 18th century shoes were made. Mm -hmm. Because who is? That's not normal. You. you, you, (laughs) I am. I am the people that taught me. (laughs) You and like three other people. Yeah, there's a small small community Mm -hmm. of us that are actually like, I want to understand how that's done, Um, which is a completely different thing than modern shoes shoes they don't have metal shanks in the mm-hmm. 18th century they don't have shanks at all the heel supports sort of the arch of the foot um so you have to figure out how to adjust for that and you look at 19th century shoes same sort of thing they don't have shanks they they have different sorts of heels the way that they're attached is very differently um the shape of the foot is sometimes a weird place that just doesn't make sense like some of the arches are just so extreme and you look at that and go, oh, that could never possibly fit on a human foot, but it does. It's it optical just, illusion. Yeah, it's yeah. all optical illusion. Shoes were built like vertical rather than horizontal because it makes your foot look smaller, and feet are weirdly squishy. Um, as I always say, feet are like cats. <laughs> you think that they're a solid, they aren't. They will fill in whatever space that they have, and I it fits, may I not fit. make sense. Well, so. they, I mean, there is such a thing as a too big shoe and a too small shoe. Yeah. We've all felt oh, that. Yeah. Um, that's is- an interesting point about the optical illusions because we've, we've, I mean, this it's February 13th today. It's Valentine's Day. We've been in development now for um, upcoming collections for a couple weeks now. We've mm-hmm. been going back and forth on stuff. Yeah. And one of the things we talk about a lot is it's this struggle between getting the silhouette exactly right and having people have confidence that they can fit that shoe. Mm-hmm. Because we sell online, <laughs> business hat's going on, because it's we sell online, if people don't believe that the... <laughs> Shoe's gonna fit on their foot. They won't even try it. They won't. They won't even order it. Well, no, and like, cause was it Monday? We were we were experimenting with one of the two left Victorian Edwardian no Edwardian boots, original boots, and they were so long. I was like, oh, I I wonder if these are my size. (laughs) And for anyone listening, I have the monster feet of size nine and a half. uh, Sometimes a size nine on a good day, but I couldn't even get my foot in. Yeah, they turned out to be a seven and a half. Yeah, they turned out to be a seven and a half. But Chrissy has fairly wide, flat feet. And she got her foot into it, and the visual difference of seeing her her foot in a sock and the foot in the boot was crazy. And how mm-hmm. she, comfortable she said it was. But we were talking about, yeah, people would look at that photo of that boot they and go, never order they it. would never, ever mm-hmm. think it, they could put their foot in it. Yeah, it looks absolutely terrifying. But and that's one of the reasons why we have this belief that when we look at old shoes, oh, everyone had such tiny feet so back, then. back then. It's like, no, they just, it was all an illusion. It really and truly was so much an illusion. Like, yes, smaller shoes do survive because, well, smaller shoes weren't worn <laughs> because they bias. were too small. So you're going to find that. But in terms of the shape, it's just a lot of illusion and very lightweight materials. And mm-hmm. that's one of the other mm-hmm. things that 
that we can't really do modern. We already yeah, get a yeah. lot of people that say, oh, American Duchess shoes. Oh, those are inside shoes. Mm, they, 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 they are. They are half leather lined in, in pigskin. They are sturdy, <laughs> they are sturdy shoes. It's like I have worn American Duchess shoes to hell and back a few times and i also survived. have done that <laughs> yeah. no it's like i've seen i know what lifespan is on AD those and they last oyster a long shells. time but i've also <laughs> done that with my handmade 18th century shoes yeah. that are made as lightweight as they should have been they're not going to last as long you need to replace that sole on that shoe after four to six months of regular use whereas american duchess shoes you're good for a couple of years mm-hmm. but and, and trying to sell something that is that lightweight and really it feels like a slightly heavier sock. Mm-hmm. Like it feels yeah. like one of those slipper socks that's, yeah. and it's so tight to your foot. It's just, it's a weird feeling. Well, you, you can't even and get the, the materials. Yeah, you can't get that. You well, can't get, like they literally don't make that leather anymore. Russian yeah. leather was the height of men's boots and that secret died with somebody. Yeah. I don't know who, but it died a long time ago and there are no records of it because it was a very well-kept secret. And so people have tried to figure it out, but we can't. Tell the closest us your secrets, you can get, Dimitri. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us your the closest we can get to most of that, which I use and, and when I'm making shoes, is kangaroo leather because um, it's very lightweight and ironically very bouncy um it stretches and it bounces right back really well i know it's it's really hilarious that is super ironic yeah uh, it's interesting because the factories as well will not necessarily well let me back up last time i was doing material sourcing we were trying to find just the right material for the Tissot, mm-hmm. which was an 1860s to 1880s pump. And we have a few originals yeah. that that shoe is based, was based on like that paper. are, they're like paper. It's, <laughs> it's, um, it's kid skin. Yeah, kid skin. And it's the thinnest, lightest, mm-hmm. it has sort of a, a suede-ish finish to it, mm-hmm. sort of like nubuck-ish. Yeah, it's very soft. And I mean, paper, paper thin like chicken skin. And we're walking around this materials market. When I when I mean the leather market, it's like a thousand stalls of leather suppliers of all different kinds of leather, all different colors, all different finishes. The the memories of of the leather Dude, market. Dude, you you know you were in the components market. You I, weren't. I was at in the a different one. Guangzhou still, leather market. Oh, but there were still leathers there. But yeah, yeah the, just still components it's, market. It's incredible, so much insane. Stuff, yeah. And I was looking for this material, and just nobody had it. And I turned to our manufacturing partner and I, I had found like a pigskin. That's the closest thing, which is used for lining. Mm-hmm. It's the closest thing I could lay my hands on. And it has um, so it's perforated through it for breathability. And I said, can we make shoes out of this? And she's like, no. Yeah. Like, can we please, can we just try? And she's like, no, it'll rip. Mm-hmm. It, it will yeah. not survive yeah. lasting. Pig, so pigskin there you go. does not have the same stretch and bounce. It's really good for linings, um, but you can't stretch it out hard. It just rips apart. Yeah. <laughs> so those so shoes ended it, yeah. up calf skin because mm-hmm. even the kid that we made the Brontes out of was was so much thicker than yeah. antique kid mm-hmm. and the shoes ended up calf skin Tiso did they were too heavy visually and it, they didn't look original enough so mm-hmm. they actually turned out to not be a very good selling shoe yeah. Yeah. And it's I just, think it was because of that. Yeah, it's just the difficulty, the fact that those those supplies don't exist anymore. The same issues that we have with wool, where mm-hmm. scratchy sheep don't exist anymore, well, so Kalamanco. we can't make calamanco. Yeah. Right. Um, it's the same thing with leather. Animals today are not grown for leather. They are grown for food. 
Yeah. And leather is a byproduct of that industry. And so we are given what we get, which usually means that the animal is vastly different than it was 100, 200, 300 years ago because we grow them differently. We I like how you say you're growing them. Like you're, well, planting the, <laughs> you're planting the sheep and it's my, going to grow. My, my like hog farming family pass is coming out. Um, 30 to 50 feral hogs. Yeah, just trying to figure out like what, because you, you want the animal to get bigger faster. Yeah. That's the goal of it. You want it to be at the farm as little as possible before it moves on to being processed. And so animals do get stretch marks. They do have Mm -hmm. all sorts of issues, just like our skin does. And when you're trying to get a beef cow, you know, beef cattle to get really big, really fast, it causes problems with their skin. And that's the difficulty we have in the leather market today. And it's not even a matter of how it's processed differently. It's just a matter of literally we can't find that quality of skin anymore. Yeah, It's just not available except for very, very small niche, high class, very expensive situations. Like even if you go and look at super expensive shoes, mm-hmm. they're still going to be different than they were you oh, know, yeah. 50, 60 years ago. Even. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, definitely. So. As someone who, who purposefully went shopping at the uh, red sold shoe stores and its competition (laughs) i can yeah it was i was very much like really Mm -hmm. this quality there's this fascinating um fallacy with when people look at vintage shoes like in Mm -hmm. catalogs they automatically think that vintage shoes were better quality than our (laughs) shoes are today our shoes today are the best quality footwear has ever been in the history of footwear it's just different it's just different we i bought years ago now before all of you guys came to American Duchess I bought a lot of uh, and I mean like an eBay lot of um, vintage shoes that came out of a oh no I was there for that you were there I helped you clean them yeah that's right they came out of a uh, of a general store in Canada one of those like barn find sort of things Mm -hmm. where they opened up you know grandma's general store and it was full of old dusty shoes, shoe boxes. dusty shoe boxes they never been worn it's like uh to wong fu thanks for everything julie newmar scene where like they go up to the <laughs> store and they find like the archives of all the amazing clothes from the 60s and then they have this big fashion show anyways it's one of my favorite movies moving on let's continue the conversation i digress have to watch that um right so so i bought like 120 pairs of shoes That's or something shoes. and they showed up and some of them still had their original prices on them. Mm-hmm. So we, we kind of knew that it was in the Sears Roebuck range of, of footwear, which are, they were cheap at the time. Sears Roebuck was a, was a, a cheap store to buy from, but it was mm-hmm. cheap and good, right? Mm-hmm. That was the idea. Here's the thing about cheap sh- Sears shoes from the 1930s and 40s. They are cheap shoes. Mm-hmm. There are parts of them that are cardboard. The leather is like this, this, composite leather it's crispy and hard they crunch and some of that was age but they were never nice quality shoes they weren't nice quality at the time and they're not nice quality now this idea that they are better than shoes today is simply wrong were there high-end shoes back then heck yeah there were just like there's high-end shoes now. The interesting thing, though, is that even cheap leather shoes now and high-end leather shoes are closer together than that. Mm-hmm. And you might disagree with me on this, but then that gap way back mm-hmm. in the turn of yeah, the, the 20th century. One of the big things is that even when you go way back and we weren't doing mass production, like we, we had mass production shoes in the 18th century. Yeah. There were definitely, Lynn, Massachusetts, amazing, um, huge quantity of shoes being pushed out of there in the 18th century. But the shoes were... With this. They were meant to be thrown away. Yeah. They were not meant to last you years and years and years. You were meant to wear a pair of shoes for a few months 
and toss it. Mm -hmm. Or if it was a specialty pair of shoes, it might survive a couple years and you toss it. They were not meant to last a long time. They were not meant like we're used to today to buy a mm -hmm. pair of shoes and expect them to make it five, ten, five ten, or ten years, more than that years. Yeah. That was not a thing. It just simply wasn't. There's um, a great example at the Philadelphia Museum of Fine Art where they actually have five or six pairs of just the same exact little black silk shoe from the early 1780s and they were taken out of one woman's closet so we know it came from her. She purchased all those shoes and never wore any of them. Well, when you get into <laughs> 1830s to 50s, those little square-toed flats, oh, yeah. every lady, everywhere. every lady her own shoe make the little, the little book of like, hey, you can make shoes at home for your you, whole family. Pro tip, they're, you can't. They're <laughs> recommending in that book that you make shoes for your family every two and a half weeks yeah. you're making new shoes. Mm -hmm. That's how disposable they were. That's also like how much time do you actually have on your hands to devote yourself to making yeah. shoes for your family the, every two and a half the, weeks? The key yeah. that I feel like adding as a shoemaker here is when you pick that book up, the very first thing it tells you to do is go to your shoemaker, get a last to get the supplies that you need from your shoemaker. Because you can just do that. Also, They're not your at shoemaker, Walmart. <laughs> your shoemaker's going to be like, so you're going to run me out of business making your own shoes? Or? Yeah, I don't know how successful uh. that book was in its time. <laughs> it was printed for a very long time. It yeah. was printed from the 1850s but, all the way through the but 1880s. But I feel like it's everything else. How many people bought it? How many people actually made the shoes? Well, heck, I bought it. <laughs> well, I know. It's one of those things where it's like, how many of them went, oh, no. Because, I mean, there are definitely some satires mm -hmm. in the early 19th century. I came yeah. across one where a father is like, I, you know, had a shoemaker come and teach my daughters how to make shoes so that I can save money because they buy those things all the time. And I'm tired of buying shoes for these girls. And afterwards, he was like, well, that was a disaster. They made one pair. It sits on a sheet of gold paper in their closet. <laughs> and they've never worn them they were hunched over with gnarled fingers and like all golem-like by the end of it. And it was like, this was a disaster and expensive. Never doing that again. Well, even today, sometimes I'll see on social media, it'll pop up somebody's like, oh, I'm just going to make my own shoes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they'll even ask us about it. And I always encourage those people to do it because we, again, in our modern world, we're so separated from the process of how anything gets made any consumer yeah. good our food anything gets made you don't really appreciate all that goes into it making shoes is a skilled trade today just as it was in the past you mm -hmm. apprentice you spend a long time years and years and years learning how to make shoes when you go to a footwear factory no matter where it is in the world it is not full of children making shoes because you simply don't have the experience never mind the ethical concerns about that it's usually could you imagine like a, a seven-year-old trying to make a pair of shoes like, like the girls in that I'm gonna, satire? I'm going to fully admit, because I learned from a shoemaker who has a wonderful family, the kids were involved because they were curious. They usually made threads. That was it. Mm -hmm. Like, that was the extent oh, It's a very of, 18th yeah, century thing to you do, You can too. make threads. We eventually helped teach them some basic sewing for the uppers, but the uppers wouldn't have been made by a shoemaker in the 18th century. They, they would have been made by yeah. housewives or a firm that made nothing but sewing. Like, yeah. as a shoemaker, I don't need to hand-stitch, like by silk stuff i just that's worthless to my time um so but that was about it we well, weren't going to trust them with all the knives and the sharp objects even <laughs> today parts of our shoes if there's embroidery on them mm -hmm. if there's any kind of perforation that is sent out to another factory to do a yeah. factory that specializes in that so this the parts of the upper are cut sometimes parts of them are sewn together before they're embroidered but usually it's done flat it's the same idea yeah. as piecework in the 18th and 19th century, it's just, again, we're so separated from this. So yeah. a lot, a lot of work, a lot of components, a lot of checking goes into making a single shoe, a single pair of shoes, 
it's it's really quite incredible yeah and it it takes a neurotic amount of checking on these things that was neurotic not erotic yeah neurotic (laughs) but is it kind of both sexy shoes shoes the erotic process but yeah it's because we're obviously sending this off to someone else to sort of parse what i've drawn and Mm. written and all of those sorts of details so i don't actually make the last yeah and what we do usually send them a heel or i carve a heel now we, we don't deal with the last, which are the, the wooden shapes or plastic or mm-hmm. whatever they're making them over nowadays. Um, it used to be wood. And that's what gives your shoe the shape that it has. And it's a very permanent shape. It's not like sewing together clothing where if you change your seam allowances slightly, it's going to be a different size or different shape. Now, this is like practically vacuum formed over <laughs> the last. It, it um, is literally vacuum formed yeah, over nowadays it. It Yeah, literally. Last press. Um, so it is what the last is. And so that's incredibly essential. And that's what we spend, honestly, most of our time nitpicking on with mm-hmm. these designs because we only have so much control we have a lot of back and forth on that mm-hmm. um where we can say all right with you know this shoe it needs to have more of a scoop in the front it needs to be closer in the ankle um we were you know what particularly brought this up for me was the gettysburg which is you know a little short ankle boot mm-hmm. from the like 1830s or 1850s and um our original version which is from a few years ago they obviously don't have that last anymore factories change last change so we just don't have that at the current moment and so we're starting over again and while they might be able to get very close to the original that we did um some changes are going to be there so they ended up rather than going across the top of the foot and then scooping up to the ankle they made it very straight Mm -hmm. and kind of cut it down in a weird way so we've got to go back in and give them very detailed measurements on how much that needs to scoop out making sure that the ankle is situated correctly so it doesn't cut in making sure that it doesn't hit the ankle bones in the wrong place making sure that the seams don't end up in the wrong place on the foot so it's not just aesthetically like does this look right it's like okay what are all the things that can go wrong with this because it's not going to fit everybody's foot Mm -hmm. ever everybody's got a different unique foot but the hope is that it's going to fit as many people as possible perfect and that we're going to avoid major issues mm-hmm. so there's a constant battle with trying to look at the technical aspects and the, you know mm-hmm. the foot itself yeah that is fascinating and it's also a really good stopping point because our camera is getting ready to run out of the 30 minute point so we're going to take a little bitty break and get back and then we can actually talk more about the other samples that we have mm-hmm. here sounds good yep. yeah. perfect We want to give a big shout out to Dandy Wellington for his generosity in letting us use his music Greenhouse Stomp in each episode. You can find Dandy on YouTube, Instagram, Spotify, and iTunes, as well as performing in New York City almost every night. If you love what we do and want to be a part of the American Duchess community, consider becoming a patron over on our Patreon page. We've got perks like early access to podcasts and videos, monthly coupon codes and patterns, a private Facebook group, and swag too. We love our patrons and can't wait for you to join us. Now, back to the show. Okay. So, yes. So when we, yeah. (laughs) So the, the, to get down to brass tacks, Mm -hmm. we develop a spec sheet. It's called a spec. It's a technical drawing. Uh, we call out all kinds of things on it, like the size of the eyelid, what height is the back of the heel, like what shape is the toe counter, what the materials are, as much on there as we can. We send it off to the manufacturer to be sampled, prototyped. And we typically get something back that it may, it's not going to be in that like the right colors. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not even in exactly the same materials, but it's it's like a fit sample. Like, are we on the right track? Yeah. They will send – we can make changes – 
um, you know, to photographs if it's way off, which sometimes it is. And then they'll send a sample, and that's when we get to try everything on. It's always sort of an exciting day when we yeah. get, or it's a depressing day. It depends on how those well, samples came out. We, we've started the, the theory of it. it's better to produce more samples, and then you can pick from a large quantity of them. Like, those are the best ones, rather than produce, like, we need three new shoes. We're going to sample these three shoes. And it's like, oh, one of those really doesn't Really didn't work. work. Or, oh. or you guys really didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons we, we do polls and ask people as well. Once we actually get a physical thing in, it makes a big difference from a drawing. But there are so many tiny little details in that, like I so said, we, we tend to produce things more and more. Just the first one is in black. If it doesn't work in black, there's a very good chance it's not going to work. There are some things like Londoner that are very boring in black, but yeah. the proportions are right. The aesthetics are right. It just it just meh. needed a little something. Yeah. But then we move on from there to fixing all the little yeah. details of it. And then we also have to figure out color and type of leather or fabric. or And yeah. man, oh man, is that a very lengthy and difficult choice. Well, what and- you thought might work... <laughs> Sometimes doesn't. Sometimes you end up going. I'm saying you, but I mean, I mean all yeah, of us. Yeah, no, all of us. We end up it out. going in different directions. Like this is a great. This is my favorite example of this. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the reasons why I brought, <laughs> you this. brought these. So our our recent Harriet shoe, um, which was produced under the Royal Vintage name. Um, if you go and look, it comes in this very beautiful combination of smooth and suede leather oh, for navy these. and brown, and they're really beautiful, rich brown, really beautiful, rich navy. We I'm love actually it. wearing these today. <laughs> Um, the very first version of it was based off of a tiny little drawing in a catalog, and they were originally something akin to like an alligator sort of embossed leather. And so we tried that. And it's okay. It's hideous. I don't <laughs> it's, mind it It's as so much, awful. But it got a very visceral reaction from most of the people at work, which uh. is a good indication if we pull it out of the box and two... A two out of three people go, ooh. It's like, okay, that's an automatic no. It's like, would I personally wear this shoe? Maybe. Would I buy this shoe? Ugh. So it's like, I don't have a strong enough positive reaction to this. To be like, yes, it's just. There were toe shape issues the, with that too. Yeah, toe shape issues. But the, the difficulty is with certain things like alligator is like, what section of the alligator? It's not a real alligator. But what section wear. of the alligator yeah. do you use on what part of the shoe? And it gets really complicated and really difficult and expensive to deal with as well. There's a lot of waste. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of waste with that. And if it's not really worth it, we're not going to do that. Like, this this was the shoe that was like, it's not worth it. Um, so it it ended up being a hard no, and we needed to go back to the drawing board. It was like, do we need to scrap the shoe altogether? Can we save it? Um, so we adjusted the toe to have a higher sort of toe box to it. It yeah. needed to look boxier. Shorter we adjusted, rounder. yeah, where the, the ties were so they were further down because the toe looked incredibly long and weird. Um, and they need to be more, like, round and stubby. Like, you actually stub your toe, sort of box toe of the 40s. <laughs> a built-up um, toe. Yeah, so we ended up doing that, and it looked much better. And it actually looks good on people's feet. Um, like, the, the alligator shoe did not look good on people's feet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're like the first line of defense. Um, yeah. the, the, the American Duchess office um, media mavens, whatever we're calling ourselves now. Um, <laughs> so if it gets through us... You know, it'll come up in a poll. We're doing a lot more polling now, asking, you know, a lot more questions about yeah, exactly uh, what you like. Especially with combining Royal Vintage and American Duchess, it really creates a whole new audience type. And so it's like we need to know what exactly is going to make everybody the happiest. Yeah. And sometimes we might all love something 
Mm-hmm. And we're like the only people that love that. I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes when we do the polls, we're all sitting there, not that, not that. Ooh, do it. Oh, go, 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 go. Like for certain colors, like as they make yeah. their way up, they the don't. Thing, like, like, they don't quite make there it. There are that. a lot oh. of surprises. Uh, sometimes the polls are a little predictable because you can be like, okay, I feel like this is gonna go this way, and then yeah. it does. Mm-hmm. Um, you're like, yeah, of course. Yeah, French blue one done one the done more. Yeah, but the mm-hmm. unexpected yeah. Um, oh. way way up there was uh, yellow ochre. Yeah. But we've never successfully sold a yellow shoe. So no. I'm like, ooh, is risky business, right? risky know. business. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, we, we will probably end up going with green. But, you know, people asked for lavender. We put lavender in the poll and it did really well at first they and it tapered off. <laughs> but I was sort of like rooting for lavender there, too, for a little while. I was like, Those, that would be pretty. The purple people are very, very powerful in their... Powerful, punchy purple persuasion of <laughs> purple. So yeah. color, color really, really does matter. Um, sometimes we don't get it right. Um, mm-hmm. Here's a really good example of this yeah. on the poppy shoes. Yeah, the poppy shoes are a great example, which we literally wrote on the shoe itself. Change this. Like. I, well, that's my favorite method. I like to, if I can, if it's not black, I like to just write yeah. everything on the shoe so, that's wrong with it. So our, our poppy is poppy in color but it, it it's supposed to be a very lovely blue not a dark navy but a very pretty blue like it's dusty it, blue. it is literally the blue of 2020 um yeah. we are apparently one year ahead of ourselves on this they're Oops, still for so, sale yeah, yeah no they're the beautiful they like, come they, with matching laces too straight up yeah. the color of the year the originals were very like children's like little boy children's room everything is bright blue and covered in basketball sports stuff. stadium blue <laughs> oh god it's hot dog well, blue sorry wait, this is gonna be really the... weird my my <laughs> this is my school school colors and our mascot i swear to <laughs> is a hot dog it, it's not like a little edible hot dog it's like a dachshund but yeah so it, it where i come from it is hot dog blue that's hilarious. Well, I'll make you feel feel a little bit better. It is also the blue of Silver Creek, where I went to high school in Southern Indiana. So terrible. it's it's dragon blue. It's a terrible. It's blue. also uh, RHS Huskies blue. Uh, Our school colors yeah. were red so, and blue. So yeah, needless blue. to say, as you can all picture this blue now, um, it was it burns. It was not a good blue. Well, the the shoelace on that, the red shoelace. Do you remember when we pulled oh that out God. of the box? We were like, ah! We pulled it out of the box and we both went, ah! There were a couple there were a couple other samples in there too that were like, Oh my god. Yeah. It hurt. It 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 was we had to wear sunglasses the rest of the day. So we had to make an adjustment. Um the best thing you can possibly do is pop up at the leather materials market and choose the exact colors, Mm -hmm. but we can't always hop on a plane and fly all the way across the world to do that. Mm -hmm. So we we get um cut, you know, off cuts, little swatch books and whatnot to choose from. Yeah. That's the um, that's the long distance yeah. way and to we, do it. We try a bunch of things. Like I said, we start every shoe off in black, but we try a bunch. That's why we have like Maryland fifteen colors at this point. We mm-hmm. tried May and a bunch of colors, you know, browns and grays, or brown or mm-hmm. navy or red or I green or brown. whatever. Nobody else yeah. likes that brown. But I was gonna say I, I still like I'm it. feeling very attached to these right yeah, now. I feel maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for more May, but maybe or at least something. it's time. Well, there's that other one we're working on for too. May. So, maybe, um, maybe. There's always uh, money in the banana stand, guys. Sorry, that was a very <laughs> obscure reference. <laughs> but yeah, it it's just a, a constant battle of trying to figure out not only what color do we want it to be, but what color can we actually get? Because yeah. 
I describe the colors as best as I can, and we tend to give them like Pantone color mm-hmm. numbers, but that's even kind of every Pantone book throughout the years has been slightly different. Mm-hmm. So it's not exact, and it's definitely a, a bit of a battle for that reason. But if it, if it comes in in a color that we all just go, eh, it's like even, and that's the other problem is we have to not only consider the color that it actually shows up as, we have to consider the color that's photographed as. Yeah. I do my best to color match, yeah, um, but, it's just... but my color, my monitors are color corrected, and like you guys out in the office, yours aren't, Mm-mm. and every person's monitor and phone is no, different. Chris, Chris mo- corrected ours. Well, oh, they're not because all of that stuff is showing up dark, yeah, and it shouldn't be. Slightly different on everybody. It's, mm-hmm. it's always going to be different. Yeah. Uh, monitors also change color throughout the day depending on how warm or cold it is. So sometimes we'll have people feedback, hey, this red shoe looks really pink or yeah. really, really purple. What color is it really? Mm-hmm. And so we do struggle with that. Um, black yeah. shoes as well, photographing very dark. That's like, one of the reasons why we do all of those on the feet, out on the street sort of photos as well, because it gives you a little bit more reference. And we definitely have people, like one of the most regular requests that we get is, hey, I need shoes for my wedding gown. What sort of white is this? And we literally just set the shoe on a piece of paper and take a picture of it, because that's the best that we can do, because it's so hard to describe white. Like, it, it's also personal. Is it eggshell or a crew? Yeah. And, I mean, is it bone? It's no different when you go to any like paint store. <laughs> Even when you pick up like an actual sample of what the paint's supposed to be, and then you paint it on the wall, it's completely different than the yeah, card every is. time. So color is just, it's very difficult. But it, mm-hmm. And that, the thing is, it's it's motive. It's emotion. It's what makes a shoe feel modern or historic. It's a color that we see a lot or we never see. Yeah. It makes it exciting. We deal with that a lot, cool. yeah. It's the, I don't feel yeah, like I don't this feel is like this. this is historic. It's like, yeah, and that's kind of here's the, the original. Well, the question, I don't feel. Yeah, the question that I constantly deal with is, what makes something feel vintage? What makes something feel historic? What about that shoe is right? Because some mm-hmm. designs, I'll draw it out. I'm like, okay, it lost something. And I realize it's because it's on the weirdest possible last with the weirdest heel and weirdest toe shape. And that made it feel right. Yeah. And we can't do that <laughs> for so many yeah. reasons. We are, we develop heels. So we have, we have quite a few heel shapes mm-hmm. now, but we can't develop heel molds for instance, you make a mold, every size in that mold, and you need like one per size and size and a half. So you have quite a few in a mold. And they cost not a little bit of money to make the heel molds. And they expect so, thousands of heels off of them too. Yes. So mm-hmm. we invest in making heel molds, and then we try and use that heel. We can change the last so long as the height is the same, but we use that heel over and over and over and over again. So when you have this collection of heels – that's why you see like all of our 1930 shoes are on the same heel and mostly the same last. But there's also yeah. a difference between a boot last, a sandal last, an Oxford last, a pump last. So just because it looks like, oh, that's the same shape, it might not necessarily be for the manufacturing side. Um, we're developing lasts all the time but the heels stay the same so yeah we would love to be like okay yeah 1770 heel 1775 heel 1780 heel specific to perhaps a museum example um, but we are kind of hindered in that way by modern i mean it it comes down to manufacturing sustainability Mm -hmm. and and i hate to say this it comes down to money like We would love to make everything in every color with every type of heel <laughs> possible, but we we just can't. Yeah. <laughs> we just yeah. can't. Yeah, so, so it's always a constant decision of what's going to make the most sense, what's going to be the most comfortable, what's going to look historic. And as we found, like certain types of curves and heels really give it the right feeling. Mm-hmm. And so we want to always make sure we've got the right heel. That's just become something we've discussed a lot lately is the right toe shape and the right heel 
makes yeah. such a big difference in whether the shoe yeah. looks right or not. Yeah. And broad strokes as well. It's not always the most interesting, but we try to go for shoes that work for the broadest range, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that work for the most people, that work for the most types of costumes. You'll see that in the way that we date stuff of like, this shoe works from 1850 all the way through the 1880s. Mm-hmm. Your resolution, depending on where you are in historic dress research, you could really noodle in there and be like, well, it's more Actually, of, it's more of an 1875 shoe, mm-hmm. not an 1876 shoe. Like, but that we that would bankrupt us. Like, yeah. we can't we can't do that. So we go for these these big strokes. That Obviously, minds. if you have a very distinct toe shape change, mm-hmm. like between the 1880s and the 1890s. We're not going to go, yeah, you can wear that for the that super pointy toe for the 1880s because we have a responsibility to our customers mm-hmm. to give them a, a pretty That's good timeline. There's, there's a more definitive start point than very much an end point because while shoes were throw away and they weren't exactly wearing them for decades and decades, you know, styles are not changing for shoes by the year. They're changing over five years, 10 years, sometimes longer, if you're talking about the 1820 through the 1860 period. It was literally decades of I, the same type of shoe. I am still trying so very hard <laughs> as a shoe historian to figure out exactly the differences between an 1825 and an 1845. And there's very little differences. It's very, very subtle. And it's hard to tell whether that's the shoe or whether it was made custom for a person's foot and that's why it's shaped differently. So there are very subtle differences. There are times where they really are distinct. There is a very distinct, yes, that is an 1890s pointed toe, really low heel. Like, that only did it for, like, 10 years. That is very distinct. But Weird bubble toes. But, you know, yeah, weird bubble toes. But, <laughs> but there are certain as- aspects and, like, looks of those shoes that continue on either side. Um, so there are some shoes that we found carry over 40 years, even in the 20th century. And you're like, how is this shoe that I just keep finding it over and over again, but it's that popular. And there are some universal things. We all know that from, like, modern shoes, the universal Mm -hmm. modern pump. And that exists in every time period. Um, But the problem is that doesn't always feel historic. So we try and find the details and the aspects, like buttons Mm -hmm. or, you know, certain types of the way the laces are done or the details or the stitching can make all the difference in whether something feels right and looks right without having to sacrifice all of the the modern things that we expect a shoe to be able to do. So that is a tip of the iceberg, Ooh, just a the pointed tip. toe of the iceberg. <laughs> of Pickle a, puncher. Poker. I mean, we kind of wandered around on that a bit. We didn't really give a chronology of how we start a shoe design and how all of its life well, We cycle. can always do another, another yeah. episode. A little follow-up if we wanted to. But yeah. it gives you sort of an idea of... This is a lot more than just here's a shoe. Here's a an antique shoe. Please reproduce this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't work. There's a lot mm-hmm. that goes into this, <laughs> and I hope you found it, audience. I hope you found yeah. it a little bit interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, everyone who's listening. Um, as always, you can find us on the website americanduchess.com, or also we have a blog, blog.americanduchess.com. You might be watching this on YouTube. Please don't forget to subscribe. If you're listening to this on your podcast app, please leave us a lovely review, thumbs up, what have you. And don't for- forget to subscribe as well. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. With that, uh, thanks for joining us, Nicole. You obviously will be back on eventually mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, it's not, not like you're far anywhere, away. No. <laughs> um, and we will see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the American Duchess Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at American Duchess. Also check out our blog, blog.americanduchess.com, and our website, www.americanduchess.com. You'll find the links to all of these below, as well as our guests' website and social media. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.